Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What would you do if you had a child and that child was spooky? And then we take a look at the end of the world. Every religion has a idea of how the world's going to end. And every religion has a set of signs and symbols leading up to the destruction of mankind. But what happens when science also declares the end is nigh? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. You're wrestling a bear right now. You're like, ah, this isn't fun. Well, I hope you find some sort of enjoyment in it. Also, quick reminder, I'm doing the re-release, the remaster of the Earth First episode. I'll put that in the show notes and I need you, I need the Fluffle to send a recording of themselves or maybe their neighbor, maybe they can trick someone into saying Earth First, Earth First. Send me an MP3 or a WAV file of that to deadrabbitradio at gmail.com so I can have you as part of this great audioscape I'm trying to build you have no idea what I'm talking about. Episode will be in the show notes. The deadline is January 31st. I pushed it ahead because I know everyone's busy with the holidays. But January 31st, 2022. Send me your sound clip and you can be in an episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. No purchase required. Nothing. I want you guys in the show. Someone who's going to always be part of the show because I'm going to say their name right now. Coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now, supporter of the show. Give it up for Chase Cacmus. Everyone give a round of applause for Chase. Chase, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out tremendously. You have no idea how much that helps the show grow. Chase, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dune Buggy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're driving all the way out to... It's not really street legal. I don't know why we're taking the Dune Buggy. We just haven't used it in a while, so we'll dust it off. And that's literal because it's covered in dirt. Let's toss you those keys. We're headed out to the suburbs. Bing, 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 bing. The reason why we're in the suburbs is we're here to visit a babysitter. So we pull up outside of this house where the parents are gone. It's just a teenage girl watching this other little girl. And we're like, <laughs> we're hiding in the bushes, but it's not spooky, okay? I can't think of any other way that we're into this story. So the babysitter is sitting there and the little girl's like, can I braid your hair, please? Apparently she's she's babysitting Urkel. And the babysitter goes, yeah, sure. So the little girl is braiding her hair, and they're sitting in front of this mirror, and that little girl's braiding the babysitter's hair. And the babysitter notices that the little girl keeps looking over the babysitter's shoulder. So they're both facing the mirror, but she notices that the girl's not focused on the hair like she should, because apparently this is super intense to braid hair. She keeps seeing the little girl look over her shoulder. 
And this goes on for like 10 minutes. And eventually the babysitter goes, what are you looking at? What, what, what's going on? And the little girl goes, the tall man behind us says he wants to play with you. The babysitter's like, dude, that's super creepy, right? It's like imaginary friend, maybe? Ghost? We wave goodbye. <laughs> they don't know we're in the bushes. So we skulk off in the distance. Ooh, that was spooky. We go to the next house. In this house, there was also a little girl, and we're hiding in the bushes yet again. And there's a girl, but the mother's here. So it's like, is that less creepy? Is it less creepy that there's an adult in the house? The mother is there with her three-year-old daughter, and we'll call the three-year-old daughter Michelle. And the mom's name, we'll just call her Monica. Michelle has an imaginary friend named Victoria. And they do typical imaginary friend stuff. We're just sitting in there, and we see, like... Michelle having a tea party with, like, nothing. And we're like, there's not even real tea in those glasses. They're empty. They're too, they're too poor to afford tea, even for this game. And, you know, she's like, Victoria, you know, let's go to bed together. And they're, like, reading books. I don't know. I don't know what people do with imaginary friends. I never really had an imaginary friend growing up. But she's doing this stuff. And now it's time to move away. So we're in the bush. We've been in the bushes this whole time. We've been in the bushes for like six months. We're having DoorDash food delivered to us. Om nom nom. Burger King. Delicious. Whoppers. It's time for them to move. So Monica's like, come on, Michelle. It's time to go. You got everything packed up, right? You got everything packed up. It's time to go. Van's showing up and they're putting stuff in. And then Michelle turns to the mom and goes, Victoria wants to know why she can't come. Now, Victoria doesn't exist, but the mom needs to placate her daughter because she's distraught. And Monica goes, well, Michelle, here's the thing. Victoria has to stay behind so she can play with other kids, right? Other way cooler kids who can afford tea. And Michelle kind of looks downtrodden. And then she goes, Victoria wants to know if she's not going because she's ugly and has a hole in her forehead. And the mom's like, oh. Oh, and the implications, I don't know if I have to say this, but the implications is the girl, Victoria, like got her brains blown out and she was this ghost walking around with a big old hole in her forehead. And what else was wrong with her? Oh, she's ugly. So I I would assume like her face has been peeled back like the Demogorgon from some sort of shotgun blast. I guess it probably doesn't have to be that, that graphic. But... That was the implication, like this invisible... Imagine having an invisible friend, because again, I, I didn't really have one. I, I had... I was. It's a complicated story, but I never had an invisible friend. Imagine if you did have an invisible friend and their face was shot off. Their face was taken out by a shotgun. Something with... Like, uh, be awful. Your invisible, your invisible friend stepped on a landmine. It's just a collection of organs and limbs that kind of follow you from room to room. You're like, when's the tea party? Ugh. And honestly, that's kind of where I'm going for. Not the kids getting blown up by landmines, but this. We ha- and you can go all over the internet of list of creepy things kids said. We've talked about a couple on this show. We've talked about a couple on this episode. My question is this. What is that phenomenon? Was it a ghost? Did this girl just... It, the whole thing is weird. Like, I find children creepy. I find I think most people find children creepy. And when kids say things that are odd, it really sticks out. Because if I was at work with you and I said, Hey, dude, I'm getting ready to move. And you're like, Oh, that's too bad. I really liked working with you. It's like, Yeah, things just didn't you know, really work out here. No pun intended. So I'm leaving. But I was wondering if you could swing by my place. <laughs> I was wondering if you could swing by my place after I move out. Why? Well, because there's this girl there whose face got blown up in a horrible hand grenade accident. And I don't want her to be lonely. 
you would have me committed. First off, you'd probably leave the immediate vicinity. Then you're going to call the cops on me. When an adult says it, it's just weird. But when a kid says it, it's that combination of precociousness. They don't really know any better. They don't know how creepy they're being. But it, or are they like, is it their imagination or are they actually seeing things adults don't see? I think it's pretty common in the lore that animals can see spirits when adults may not be able to. And I would argue that that's just because their senses are heightened. They have different senses and they're looking for different things. I'm looking for the remote control. My dogs are looking for food and a place to rest. And the rest of the time, he's he's looking around. His head's kind of bobbing around. Not a very complex creature. So when he sees a ghost, he has nothing else to divert his attention or weird noise walking down the hallway. The dog will turn and look. It doesn't have all this other random thoughts going through its head. Maybe that's the same thing with a child. And especially with a child, they haven't been taught the rules of the universe. As far as they know, ghosts are real and monsters are real, goblins and all this stuff. Witches are going to come and get you at any point in time. So are they? Are these products, these stories that we see in the internet is full of them? And I know that you guys have probably experienced this as well. Beatrice sent me a story where she was talking about one of her daughters doing that. Beatrice, longtime listener of the show. And so this goes on and on and on. And the question is, is it just part of their overactive imagination? Because to them, the universe is capable of anything. So that means a child with no face could just walk into your house, sit down, and start watching the Big Bang Theory next to you. Or, and so it's just their imagination, or are these children actually seeing ghosts? Are they actually remembering past lives? Are they actually interacting and having imaginary conversations with these ghosts that adults, we forget, we don't have that ability anymore because we know, quote-unquote, the rules of the universe. When you hear a strange noise outside, you may go, well, it's too cold outside, I don't want to go check it anyways. As your car is getting broken into, hmm, those ghosts sure are nasty with their baseball bats smashing my windshield. That's ah, just a figment of my imagination. We go, no, it's probably just a, fo- I do it all the time. I hear stuff all the time and I go, it's probably just a pipe. Oh, that's probably just, that's probably just a moan. It's probably just a cockroach in pain moaning, going, Matilda, come back to me. I think adults do that more and kids don't. Kids hear the noise, they immediately go to the monster. So because they're thinking of a monster, are they more likely to imagine a monster? Or are they actually seeing these monsters? That's the big question I have about kids making these statements. Because if you ask them, they don't know the difference between their imaginary friend and a real ghost that they're talking to. And the weirdest thing is, is kids will grow up and you'll ask them, Hey, remember when you used to say that really creepy thing? And they'll be like, huh, what? I don't remember that. Are these imaginary friends, or not all of them, right? Some people just have imaginary friends that are, I guess, big old pumpkins or something like that chasing you around the house. I don't know. I don't really have any context for imaginary friends, but uh, are, are they just imaginary, or are some of them actually the spirits of the damned haunting these houses? And as these kids move away, these spirits just continue to kind of move through the house, hoping another child will make contact with them. What a lonely existence, being a ghost. Being a ghost with a busted up face, that would be awful. Chase, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind the suburbs. We are going to fly all the way out to Germany. This is something I haven't really covered much on the show. It's pretty ongoing. I figured I would either cover it or the world would end. It would be one of the two. And I... 
I have always found it so fascinating how much the conspiracy theory community loves the end of the world. It's very counterintuitive to... I mean, like, we all study... I think we've all, at a certain point, studied the end of the world. Maybe our particular religions view the end of the world. Or maybe just doomsday novels, science fiction dystopian novels. But there is a certain allure to the image of the end of the world. Like, I'm really into zombie apocalypse stuff. And I'm also really into, like, the Book of Revelation. I was more into the Book of Revelation when I was younger. But definitely, like, zombie apocalypse is my go-to thing. It's the end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. And conspiracy theorists love talking about the end of the world. And we can go all the way back to nuclear Armageddon of, like, the 80s. That's when I grew up. During At any point, Soviet Union is going to nuke the United States. And then, and then we got into the New World Order. I remember Bill Clinton was going to send the blue-helmeted UN goons across the United States. And they were going to take all of our guns and round us up and throw us in throw us in these giant internment camps. And then that kind of morphed into George Bush doing that and George Bush doing the uh, Patriot Act. He's going to have, he wasn't going to have the UN troops. He was going to have US troops throw us into internment camps. And then that became the Obama thing. Like it's going to end. And you start after the third or fourth apocalypse. And that's not even counting stuff like 2012 or the Y2K bug. After so many apocalypses or so many like, this is it, this is the final generation, you get burned out. But what I find so odd is a lot of conspiracy theorists don't. They simply pivot and double down. It's one disaster after another. One disaster after another. The one that's going on right now, and here's the thing, sometimes there are disasters that could legitimately be a big deal. Y2K... If that was not corrected, it could have actually caused massive catastrophes. That was one that was possible. Well, the thing going on right now, there is an island in Spain called La Palma. And it's this volcano that's erupting right now. And it came to my attention a couple weeks ago, and I was reading about it. If this volcano causes this massive landslide, which is possible, if it falls in precisely the right way, and enough of it comes off at the right time, it can cause a tsunami that will end up wiping out huge chunks of Europe and pretty much the entire eastern seaboard of the United States. You're like, oh my god, I didn't know this was going on. You're packing up right now. Well, here's the thing. It is going on. And it's been going on for a couple weeks now. And Rensi.com, which Rensi.com, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but this is like an old school conspiracy theory website. And this isn't like Dead Rabbit Radio conspiracy theory. This isn't even like Alex Jones conspiracy theory. This is like some of the most racist conspiracy theory stuff you will find on the internet. So don't go to this website at work. Right, if you're gonna go, oh, I love it when I check out a new website Jason sent me. Uh, uh, uh. Rensi.com will get you fired, and in some countries, it may get you arrested. It is straight up has a lot, a lot of really, really racist conspiracy theories. But on, I go there every once in a while just to see what is going on because it's a conspiracy theory website, and I'm checking it out. They have a 24-hour live feed of La Palma volcano. And you have, there is this weird obsession with, and I think it comes down to this. Conspiracy theorists, we want to be right, and we want to know about it before the other people. Those aren't bad things. Those aren't bad things, but I've noticed, especially in myself, like, I like to be right. I think everybody does. And there is a cool thing about knowing something that other people don't know, knowing it first. 
So whenever a new conspiracy or whenever a new inner of the world thing pops up, the conspiracy theory community takes that ball and runs with it. And sometimes it becomes a multi-year books, movies, television shows like 2012 or Y2K. You could have had a career off of those, right? The La Palma thing, if it happened, the volcano is erupting and there's earthquakes going on and stuff like that. And you may think it's weird that no one's paying attention to it. But the reason why no one's paying attention to it is it has to be, it has to happen in this precise way. If it does happen in that precise way, millions of people will die. But by that same, the same logic, a solar flare could hit us in just the precise way and wipe out our electrical grid or an asteroid can come from the other side of the sun. We'd have no way to detect it. We'd have no way to detect it because the sun is so bright. They've always said if an asteroid comes from the opposite side of the sun and it whips around, we have a day, two days, before it smashes into the planet. And that's true. So I know this might be the most depressing episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. First, we were making fun of a girl who got her face blowing off. And now this. But I find it fat. And I'm not saying those subjects aren't fascinating. I'm fascinated by the end of the world. But I want to take a look at some... I always say this. I find these stories fascinating, but I don't believe them because I've lived through so many apocalypses. Here we go. And this is a great view of this. I, I found this story the other day and I absolutely loved it. There's an article... Again, it's another list article, but I'm not going to go through all of it. Um, the SmithsonianMag.com did an article, 10 Notable Apocalypses That Obviously Didn't Happen. And a lot of them we are aware of, 2012, Y2K, stuff like that. But I found two that were super fascinating. One here, we found, not we, not you and me, but archaeologists found a, an old Assyrian clay tablet that was written back in 2800 B.C., and this says, this tablet talks about the end of the world. In 2800 BC, people were talking about this. Listen, they, We know what this tablet says. Listen to this. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Quote, Our earth is degenerate in these later days. There are signs that the world is speedily coming to an end. Bribery and corruption are common. Children no longer obey their parents. Every man wants to write a book, and the end of the world is evidently approaching. Unquote. Now, the world didn't end. It's, the Assyrian Empire did fall apart. But I'm, you, I find so curious. Every man wanted to write a book. I wonder if that means that everyone thinks that they know everything, or if it means everyone doesn't want to work. Everyone has these lofty dreams. It's such a weird thing. But I'm wondering if it's just a self-indulgent society. Like, oh, I don't need to harvest the wheat. I'm working on chapter three of my seven-book series about a boy wizard. But back then, it, would have been, it wouldn't have been fiction. It would have been real life. Because you had magicians running around throwing staffs into snakes and all that stuff. So we had that written back in 2800 BC. The Assyrian Empire ended in 612 BC. So it's not like this person even saw the end coming right, right around the corner, but it's so fascinating. Like even back then they're like, nope, this is the worst generation possible. Look at these kids not obeying their parents. This is the worst thing that a child can possibly do. And this article that I'm referencing was written by Dr. Romeo Vitelli. I want to go ahead and give him a shout out, but we go on from the Assyrian tablet. The reason why Chase is flying us out to Germany is we're going to college. It's back to school times, ladies and gentlemen. The University of Tübingen, 
that's in Tübingen, Germany. <laughs> German people are shaking their heads. They're like, dude, that is not a place anywhere in Germany. Anyways, the year is 1499. And Chase, I want you to land this carpenter copter right on the campus of the University of Tübingen. There's a dude walking around the college. And everyone's like, yo, what's up, Johans? And he's like, and he's like giving him a high five. What's up? He just invented the high five now. He's like, well, this is pretty cool. I wonder if it'll last thousands of years. And Johans Stofler is walking around. He, he was a scholar. He was a priest. He was a professor and a scientist. This dude had it all, right? And 1499, he's sitting there in his lab working on like astronomical instruments. This was back when they were still trying to learn how to spell astronomical. He's like building astrolabes. And he is so smart and so beloved, he becomes the advisor to royalty on all matters astronomical. So when Johannes makes a prediction based on science that the world will end, people listened. All of Europe listened. He predicts on February 24th, 1524, the world will drown. Six planets, so at this point all of them, all of the planets they've discovered, six planets, will unite in 16 different planetary conjunctions. All within the sign of Pisces. So this is going to cause this gravitational pull and the oceans of the world will swell up and the rain will come down and we're all dead. Now this is a great prediction because it's combining science, it's combining his knowledge of astronomy and a little bit of astrology too with the symbol of Pisces. And he's also religious. And the great flood in the Bible is the first disaster that mankind faces. So it makes sense. God, God wants to keep the hits coming, and there's nothing better than a classic. He's going to drown us all. Now, as the date got closer, he made that prediction back in 1499. As the date gets closer, people start to get really antsy because this guy, he's not a crackpot. He's an advisor to royalty. People probably have some of his astronomical gear he's created in their own laboratories. People know this guy. He's a man of God and a scientist. Maybe he's onto something. People start moving. People start selling their property. If you live near a water line, like a river or a lake, you would sell your property and then buy a boat. Now, this was perfect time. This is perfect time, if you didn't believe in this hogwash, to buy a lot, buy a lot of waterfront property. People start selling their houses and buying boats. People who have enough money, though, start to build arcs. Right? The instructions are right in the Bible. It'll tell you how to build an ark. It's weird, too. You start to have this competition. You have other fortune tellers, other soothsayers, even other scientists. In England, say, we dispute, we dispute Johann's prediction. The world will not end on February 24th. 1524, it'll actually end on February 1st, 1524, and it'll happen here in England first, right? They want to go out first. So now people are like, okay, let's see what happens, right? We have two dueling predictions. February, spoiler alert, the world does not end in 1524, in case you're wondering, but on February 1st, 1524, 
nothing happened. Nothing happened at all. People in England were stocking up on food. They were moving to high ground and nothing happened. And at this point, we're two months into 1524. It's been an unusually dry year these first two months. But some people are going, no, no, no. God's, God's just saving up that juice. Saving up that juice to destroy the planet. So it doesn't happen in England. And at that point, a lot of people in England go, this probably isn't going to happen, right? Because we thought it was going to happen earlier. <laughs> I sold my house. Can I get my house back? You're floating away on a boat just down the River Times. And they're like, no refunds. It's 23 days, though, until the actual end of the world. In Germany, back in Germany, there's a man named Count von Igelheim. And he has a bunch of money. And he doesn't want to die. <laughs> That's the combination of things you need to do what he's about to do. He builds a massive arc. A three-story arc. I mean, that's it's huge. He builds this for his friends and his family. And this, this obviously, he didn't wait till February 1st and go, ah. He'd been working on this for a while, and it's sitting there right on the river, on the Rhine. And locals are like, oh, man, that guy's so nuts. He's building that. But I'm sure a lot of people went down and helped build it just to get paid. But locals just thought he was crazy. All these other people believe this. But again, people are like, I don't know. It hasn't rained much this year at all. England was a wash, no pun intended. Or England wasn't a wash, actually. But on February 24th, 1524, this is the predicted day of the end of the world. You had people from all over come out to the Rhine to see these boats. To see what would happen, right? Are you just going to sit there and you're going to laugh at these rich people who built these boats and sold their houses? Or, now most people figure it at this point it's not real, but you have that thing in the back of your head, like the La Palma volcano. I was worried for precisely 24 hours because I just found out about it that day and I was like, oh my God. And then as I looked into it more, I go, okay, it's, it could happen, but it's unlikely, but it could happen. So I moved. I'm no longer living on the eastern seaboard. I moved last week. They're watching this and they're loading and people are loading supplies onto Von Igelheim's Ark. You have a ton of people out there watching this. By the midday, you have thousands of people watching this spectacle. I mean, it's 1524. There's no television. The most exciting thing you can see is someone loading a boat. And while thousands of people are gathered out here watching this, and Von Igelheim's Ark is being loaded with supplies, friends, family members are getting on board, it starts to rain. An unusually dry 1524, and it starts to pour down rain on the day the world is supposed to drown. A panic sets in to the crowd. That becomes a riot. That becomes a mass casualty event. Thousands and thousands of people are trying to board this ship. There is such a massive crush of humans running towards this ark. And there were other boats on the Ryan as well, but the main object that everyone was going for was this massive three-story ark. So many people were rushing towards each other. So many humans were cramped into this small area. The panic. The world is ending. So many people died in the crush. We have no idea how many people were killed. Count von Igelheim 
is dragged off of his ark and stoned to death by the crowd. I don't know how that was supposed to get them on the ark. He was the only one with the keys. They're like, oh no. People push towards these boats, fighting over them, falling into the water, getting trampled. Thousands of people pouring into this small area. And the rain continued to fall from the heavens. It wasn't until the rain stopped shortly after that the crowd realized, oh, whoa, I, I'm my bad. I'm so sorry. I kind of lost my mind. I thought the world was about to end. And as people started to calm down, right, started doing the deep breathing, the true horror of the event became evident. Hundreds of people died in this crush. You had people fall down and get trampled. You had people beaten to death. People falling into the river and drowning. Hundreds of people died. Because it rained on a day where a man predicted the world would end by a flood. Johans is now nowadays more recognized for all of his scientific advancements rather than his prediction. I mean, it's a bit of trivia for a man who's created all these instruments. But it's still a pretty bad thing to put on your resume, right? You made a mistake that killed hundreds of people. So that's the story of Johann Stoffler and his prediction of the end of the world, which he got kind of right. I always think about 2012, a long time ago, that Mayan calendar talking about the end of the world, and it wasn't the end of the world. But for thousands of people worldwide, it was the end of the world. That was their last year alive. There's a lot of suicides connected to the 2012 prophecy. People were afraid. So what if the Mayan prophecy wasn't seeing the end of the world, but seeing the end of a lot of lives due to fear of the end of the world? Does that make sense? It's like a chicken and egg thing. Johann Stoffler, did he see a vision of the future of people dying in the rain and think, whoa, the world's going to drown on February 24th, 1524. I've done these astronomical layouts and I can see this. I can see people drowning. I can see people dying. I can see mass amounts of people being killed during the rainstorm. He wasn't seeing the end of the world. He was seeing a vision of the future. A vision of the future that he caused himself. By making the prediction that people would die in the rain, he caused people to die in the rain. So the next time you hear a doomsday prophecy, take it with a grain of salt. At the very least, you may get wrapped up in this conspiracy theory, the end of the world. It raises your blood pressure. You're constantly stressed. Your friends don't want to hang out with you because that's all you can talk about. But at the worst, you might actually play into the prophecy. You may unwillingly become part of it. We never really know what's going to happen in the future. Not even the prognosticators can truly tell us that. But through our own individual actions, we may unwittingly trigger our own demise, trying to avoid a fictional end of the world. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. 
Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.